Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. You are going to like this one because none other than Chael P. Sonnen was in studio today. His first appearance in the jungle since the smack off. Chael stuck around for a couple of segments. We talked about his new book, his upcoming Bellator fight, even his eighth place finish in the smack off. And he took some shrapnel from you clones on Twitter and even a couple of phone calls. We also talked a little hockey with Calgary Flames head coach Glenn Gulletson and SI's Ben Gulliver, a jungle legend who came in and broke down all the craziness that's been happening in the association. So three very good guests, takes for freaking days, and another great Thursday, Alvi. Let's get it started. Chael, we have not spoken, at least not on the air, since the smack off. I will get to that later on, but it is good to see you in studio. How are things? It's great to be seen. I wish we'd get to it right now, Rome. I came in eighth. I feel like that was a little low. I brought some fire. The field was tough, but old Chael P was top five. Tell you what, I feel, yeah, I respect that. But when you say you feel like you came in a little low, I feel like you came in a little bit high. Doesn't, like like 12 sounds better to me. Doesn't everybody uh, complain to you, though? I mean, you know my boy Mike and Indy, but he's never happy wherever he comes into that thing. Never, so that's never. probably the most, the only unfun part for you of the Smack Off is listening to us complain about it for the next the 12 is, months. That's the best part about the Smack Off for me. It's always going to be that way. Look, if everybody's happy, then it's not that competitive. It's not that compelling. You know we like the drama. We like the fire. And I know you want to start there, but let me start with the fight first, right. and we will double back. We have lots of time. In the meantime, if you want to talk to Chael, we normally do not open up the phone lines, go ahead and do it. Toll free, 1-800-636-8686. Now, there's a couple of things that are pretty interesting about the fight this weekend. Number one, it's a tournament. Now, what does that mean and how does that play out? Yeah, so let's break it down. Uh, You know, Scott Coker, Dana White, you know, whoever the leader is, they always get called. All the fighters say, hey, I'm the guy, put me in, coach. And Coker finally goes, I've had enough of it. You eight guys are all telling me you deserve a shot. I'm going to put you all in a bracket and whoever's left standing, I'll put the title around. Is that fair? And we all just had to go, yeah, there's really no way around it. And that's what I come from, from a wrestling background. But, I, you know, I love the Olympic Games. I love the NCAA. But you could take it on up to the NFL. You put a tournament together. You have a bracket. You take the politics out of it. So, in other words, that's like you returning to your roots as a fighter. I just understand tournaments. I, I mean, I really think it's the only fair way to do it. I can remember being with my dad when I was nine years old. We'd go to a tournament on Saturday. You never knew who you were going to have next because you didn't know who was going to win and who was going to advance and how it was all going to play out. You take the politics out of it, and that's something very rare in this sport. I don't have a lot of complaints on MMA, but it is one I have to concede that whoever is believed to be the toughest is the toughest instead of actually having an architecture in place known as a bracket and letting it play out. All right, so you like the architecture, you like the bracket. If it were up to you, would you do the entire thing in one night? I would. I would, but, uh, Jim, a little of that is me trying to sound tough in front of you. I don't know if I could do that in reality. Walking back out there, I've, I've done two tournaments, but they were almost two decades ago, and the guys just weren't as good. We just weren't as good back then, so you could, you could leave the locker room a second time. But those tournaments were only four-man tournaments. So the most guys I've ever fought in one day is two. Imagining to go and do three might be something uh, easier said than done. All right, so Chael, it would sound great, but to your point about, I don't know if I could still do that. Maybe that's me sounding like a tough guy. Fact is, you can do a lot of things. You do do a lot of things. You have a book. You have a podcast. You're on TV quite a bit. You don't need to still be doing this. Why are, you st- why are you still stop, doing this? Stop, stop. Jim, that's nice. This? this is the only game I know how to play. I, I've never seen a basketball game. Drives my uncle crazy. He won two NBA championships. Did you say you've never seen a basketball never game? Seen, I know what it is. I've never seen a football game. I used to have season tickets. Joe, you've never seen a, a basketball game? Never. Uh, not, I'm talking about not, not I've never Four played quarters. basketball. I've never seen a basketball game. Never seen it. Like you don't know this concept. They've got a basket there and a basket here. No, I do. And the idea is five I guys here. It. Okay. I think I could even talk a little hoops with you, but okay. I've never seen one. I had season tickets to a, a semi-pro hockey team called the Winterhawks in Portland. I went to a game. I got my seat. I got my. I left. I just, I don't like sports. I'm not a sports guy. And uh, this is all I know how to do. I don't know how to play golf. I don't know how to play tennis. This is my sport. All right, so it's your sport, but unlike those sports that when it's over, it's over, and unless it's football and hockey to a certain extent, obviously, they leave with their faculties intact. Things end pretty badly in your sport for most guys. You've said it yourself, quote, all our careers end the same, face down and embarrassed, and I think I'm going to follow suit on that. I don't want to leave anything on the table. Like, I think that's self-evident, but explain what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah well, I, I look at back at my amateur wrestling careers, uh, career, I wanted to be an Olympian, and I ended up as an alternate, and I stopped and I moved into MMA. But there are so many times I lay in bed at night and I regret it. I could have gone one more cycle, I could have shown up to one more tournament, one more process, and maybe fulfilled that dream. And in MMA, 
MMA, it's the same thing. I just won't make that mistake twice in life. I don't want to leave anything on the table. And I'm still working just as hard with the same coaches and the same guys. I'm still winning fights. I'm on a win streak, as a matter of fact. One. Good for you, huh? man. How's that feel? Won the last How's one. that How feel, like Chael? That, You're unstoppable. It feels pretty darn good, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's got to feel better than a three-fight losing streak, right? That's right. And I'll tell you, I just I don't I don't want to leave anything on the table. And and you know the quote about all all fighters' careers in the same face down and embarrassed. It really is true. And I could point to Lennox Lewis or a George St. Pierre that were some exceptions to the rule, but generally in sports, guys do stay in it too long. But there's a certain pride that I take in doing that, just knowing, okay. I enjoyed every experience. I walked out there every time. I trained for everyone as hard as I could, and, and I go out the hard way. Shao Sonnen joining me in studio. How about this, though? What if you show up and you win this tournament? I mean, that'd be a hell of a way to walk off. Walk off after winning that tournament, but deep down you know you've got something left. You know you could go again. Is it really worth risking ending it with you lying face down when you could walk off on a tournament win? I love everything you're saying, and I get it, but I, I do hold uh, I do hold to the covenant that you've got to pass the torch. And if you're on top in your main event and you're selling out arenas, you've got to pass that to the next. You do that. And the guys that came before me all did that. I respect those guys, even a George St. Pierre who did not do that, but he gave them every opportunity to beat them. George gave guys matches and rematches and triple matches. There was just nobody good enough. Well, there's passing the torch, and then there's somebody ripping the torch out of your hand and stepping on your head. <laughs> well, you make a very fair point on that. I mean, I, I'm not looking forward to the, the night that that comes, but, you know, if I was to weigh those two against it and just not have any regrets, I mean, that is one way to do it, to, you know, you, you leave the sport when you just simply can't win any more matches. Okay, I think it's, this tournament is not just a tournament. It's a heavyweight tournament. So because of that, there's a distinct possibility that there's going to be a rather significant weight difference when the two of you face each other on Saturday night. I mean, what kind of a weight difference are we talking about Saturday night for you? Okay, I think that Rampage is going to come in just north of 250. I say that because that's what he said, uh, so I'm taking him at his word, and I'll be about 215. So Dude. I don't haven't done the math on that, but was it about 35 pounds? About so, 35 pounds. Uh, yeah, I think that that's very meaningful. And the term size advantage, uh, you know, it's kind of like reach advantage. A uh, fight Analysts always talk about that, but we can't really point to anybody with long arms that had a great career or anybody with a big size advantage that had a good career. I think that came, I mean, we've seen it as a disadvantage. Mike Tyson, by example, never had a reach or a size advantage. Muhammad Ali in his prime was 198 pounds. Some guy's kid got beat up on the playground, and when he had to explain it to his buddies the next day at work, he said, well, Junior got beat up, but the other kid was bigger, when the truth was Junior was just a wimp. And, and so we've never really seen this size be an advantage, but it is a talking point. Hey, Chael, whatever you have to tell yourself to get through it. There's a lot of truth to what you hey, just hey, said. Hey, right hey, listen, no, the when the fight's two days away, you, you kind of... Hey, listen, the fact is, I mean, you've trained and sparred with guys bigger than you. It's not that you haven't done this, but is there a difference between doing that and then the night of when you step in that ring and you see that guy and it's go time? Yeah. How big a difference is there? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's an unknown for me. I don't even have uh, training partners that are all that big. You know, most big guys that are good athletes, they go into football or basketball. Not a whole lot of really good athletes go into fighting. That's when you see those heavyweight champions that keep the torch and run it for a while. Those guys were good athletes. They could have done something else. They chose one of the weirdest sports to go into, which was you know, pugilism or something. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't fully know what I'm getting into, but I, I'm ready for it. It's not an easy way to make a living, getting punched in the face repeatedly. I would agree with that. Is that so, for instance, is, are there ever days in training or even the night of a fight where like, man, I really do not feel like getting punched in the face, or is it always good? Are you like, hey, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is what I live for, this is what I signed up for, and I don't have those bad days I like that. I enjoy the days of practice. I don't think I've ever gone into competition where I'm not in that ring and it's just about to happen and I've got my game face on and the ref asks you ready and I'm saying yes and inside I'm thinking, why did I agree to this for? I don't have a problem with this guy. I don't even know this guy. So I had to fight a guy in a, in a small regional show out in Chicago and, uh, and no one was there. I didn't know anybody. My pride wasn't on the line. There was no money. It was 500 bucks, and I had to get myself there in the ball. And I remember thinking, what, what are we doing here? Why are we, why are we doing this? Uh, and I still don't have that the, answer. I was going to say, the why is pretty important. Yeah, Especially right. if the why is, why am I going to get my face punched in? Sure. Or, or why am I punching this other guy? Well, better that than the other. Him. Better yeah. that you're punching him than he's punching you. Seems like a perfectly nice yeah, guy. Back to you, see, back to your point. I, I don't have anything against this guy. Do you have anything against any of the guys? I mean, does it get personal, and does it make it easier? Yeah, it does get personal, and when you're lucky, 
And, I mean, even from a promoter, nothing drives this sport more than a personal conflict because the fans are getting conflict with conflict resolution. Everybody gets that, and nothing sells like a grudge match. But uh, if I don't mean it, I won't say it. I won't manufacture conflict. Is that true? That's true. true. Trail, is that true? Because yeah. I want to say to you, you, nobody's better than you. You and Connor are the two best guys ever, two of the best showmen ever, two of the best sales guys ever, and, of course, Kim Battens. But i got to be real with you now, Chael. I mean, as good as you are at that, I don't know if I always believe that you hate that guy that much. Yeah, oh, and it's only happened to me a couple of times and, and it was usually based on jealousy a lot of times I never even knew the guy I used to despise Anderson Silva and, and that wasn't even all that long ago Jim, why? I can't why? remember why? why I don't have the foggiest <laughs> idea he had done something or was through the media and I got upset about it but it was real I really meant it but I never really even met the guy he could be a, a gentleman for all I know clones I need a second or two from you so I can tell you all about stamps.com now here's a new year's resolution that you can actually keep Add Stamps.com to your business and save a ton of time and money this year. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't need that resolution this year because I've already done it, and I wish I had done it sooner. Stamps.com has saved me so much time and so much money. You see, Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Stamps.com is the better way to get postage. You simply use your computer to print U.S. postage for any letter or package, any class of mail, and you let the mailman pick it up. You don't leave your office. There's no more lugging mail to the post office. There is no more hassle. So stamps.com saves you time and money. Almost everything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk. Stamps.com. Convenient, easy, reliable, efficient. And those are all the reasons why I use stamps.com. And right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Are you ready for a happier new year? then go to stamps.com hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in jungle that's stamps.com enter jungle once again to take advantage of this great offer stamps.com enter jungle that's stamps.com now it's back to our daily jungle speaking of connor i've heard you say he's the best which i find he's very good but there's one way to find out who the best is, and that's the smack off, and he did not enter, and you're sitting with a two-time champion. So I did find that a little bit fugazi that you crowned a guy that didn't even enter, the only competition who can actually define who the best is. It's a very good point, but my feeling is if you can't beat seven clones, how are you going to beat Connor? Is he welcome? Could he enter if he wanted oh, for, to? For sure, for sure. Well, but no, but he your didn't. Point, though, but he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't entered. Hey, man, look, this guy's not the easiest guy to get to even sit down for an interview, it's much an less show up on that day. It's an 800 but, number. How busy he, are you? Come yeah, on. in terms of showman and talking smack, I mean, is there really anybody? He's Even funny. Uchio, he's good. He's, he's funny. funny. He's funny. I, I love it. And I love not listening only funny, it works, right? Yeah. Guys get sucked in. Yeah. I mean, Jose Aldo, you, you can't tell me that when he walked into that shot 13 seconds in that fight, Connor was not in his head already, right? Perfect example. Jose tried to get out of that fight. They said he wanted to rematch. They wanted to rematch him. Yeah, Connor, Connor broke in metal. And Jose's a tough guy. I can't believe it. I can't believe, you know, what's that old expression? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. It's not true. Apparently, words can really break a guy no matter how tough he is. So what do you think this does to Connor now that he's got that money, that bleep you money, that I don't have to do this anymore? Because like we said, training is hard. Hard, getting hit in the face for a living is hard. Do you think he's going to have that same fire and drive to do what he did to get where he is? I don't think so. You know, they say a rich man can't fight, and only two guys have ever really proved that wrong, which is Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather. But, you know, the only thing more exaggerated than Floyd Mayweather's pay-per-view numbers is Floyd Mayweather's net worth. Floyd will fight again. I assure you Floyd will fight again because he has to. But uh, like I, you think I, he needs the money. Yeah, he needs the money, and I think he's going to end up fighting Conor again. I think we're going to see that rematch. I, I know right now it sounds silly, but Jim, once they do one day, a press tour, you're gonna go. Okay, do you, do you let's think? See do it. you think, Chill? You understand the public. Do you think the public? I understand why we did it the first time. We were all in. Will they buy that again? Will that sell again? And will they buy that again? It would with me. And you know what? I thought it was a great fight. I thought that the you want to see it again. Yeah, I why? enjoyed it. I, yeah, well, I had a lot of fun watching it. I think that uh, Connor surprised himself. You know, he talked the good game, but there's no way he believed it. He was 0 and 0. He had never done it, and he, he went out there and fought him for 30 minutes. I think he surprised himself. And uh, a little bit o older Floyd. I, I think that you could sell that, and that's all I'm looking for is to be sold. The punches have never been enough for me. Even in MMA, the punches and the kicks, it's not enough for me. But if you can tell me a story and bring me along, you'll get my 50 bucks. It's so funny to say that because my feeling was for 50 bucks I got my money's worth before they stepped into the ring the promotion was that good it was amazing I, I didn't even care what happened at that point yeah no they they had done a press tour just to put this uh, in perspective for you in Los Angeles at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday that's not an ideal time they sold the place out and they were scalping tickets outside no chance Jim no chance of a fight breaking out 
Just two guys to talk about it that meant it from the heart. They sold out an arena. Like they sold tickets for a presser. Right. Selling tickets for the weigh-in. You give tickets to that away. You beg people to And you people hope people show in. up. Right. Shocking. Clones are all about it, Chael. They are everywhere. They're on the phones. They're on Twitter. They want to talk to you. Here's a sampling. Nick in Iowa tweets, Hey, at Andrew Bogish, you forgot the breaking news of Chael Sonnen getting in the new studio before left in Laguna. First That's thing true. I thought of when I came in here is, oh, okay, left. Now we both know where the studio is. <laughs> he doesn't, though. He doesn't. He, he doesn't, doesn't know where, he this, doesn't one know where this one is. You are the only one so far. Well, security was a little tighter to get through today, but the, the bottom line is I, that was the very first thing I thought of is what doors am I going to be at when the next smack off is? Because I'm stopping that guy. All right, Chess, let me ask you this. You have always been very complimentary of the other people in the smack off. Game respects game. Now, Brad and Corona for one, is called, get left, quote, a gimmicky little bitch. Now, you got to admit, left has come through with some transcendent moments. I mean, say what you want about finishing eighth, and you should have been top five. Ain't nobody beating him with what he did this past year. So, is he a transcendent dude, or is he, quote, a gimmicky little bitch? No, he's neither one of them. He's definitely gimmicky, but the smack-off goes in waves. I mean, sometimes it's good. And so, I, but what Brad did was brilliant, too. Now, he got himself ran. I, I don't like a guy that throws it for any reason. You know, that, that part of the competitive nature I didn't love. But he also got himself talked about more than anybody, arguably even more than left. Hey, listen, that was one of the most famous calls ever, and he got run. And he, he got threw, run. He went kamikaze, he threw himself on the sword, and for those who didn't know, the reason he did that was he had a scheduling conflict, he had to go first, and he knew if he wasn't able to respond to what other guys were saying, he had no chance of winning. Randall, WFI in the OC, tweets, you're taking live calls? Great idea, signed OJ. Yeah. <laughs> OJ once took live calls on an internet radio program. It did not go well. Liz in Falls City tweets, how many espressos has Chael drank? OMG. Now, that's the problem, young Liz, is zero. Are, is she saying that because my eyes are red? Because I'm aware that they are, and I was telling Jim I, was, I didn't get quite enough sleep. I even eyes. used a couple of... Uh, no, it's not your eyes. It's, your, your, it's your energy. It's oh, your my energy. energy's high? Your eyes oh, are fine. Oh, it's a compliment then. She's complimenting me. I, I took it as an insult. I thought she was putting down the fact that Chael oh, looked was like an insult. He, it was he an insult. a sleep. Okay. Rex in the ABQ tweets, could you guys let Chael know he needs to lower his Adderall dosage? Okay, so I do have high energy. I'm going to bring it down now because I know what Adderall is. I don't know what ABQ is, but I do know ABQ, the Adderall. ABQ, Albuquerque. Refi- Albuquerque. Well, then, come on. Of course she's not in a good mood. No, no, that's a he. That's Rex in the ABQ. Keep See what up, I did Chael. There? That's Keep called up, Chael. smack, Jim. Oh. Talking smack. It's condescending. You, you, know what, you know what you don't want to do, Chael? You never want to call a guy a woman's name. I would never do that. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. The four-pack revolution. All right, so what's Tell this saying? Now, does this mean that we really shouldn't aspire to a six-pack because that's really not going to happen anyway yeah, why right. a four pack yeah that's right i i believe six uh, six packs are for teenagers and drug addicts and, you know a, an average adult particularly a male should aspire to have a four pack and if you have a four pack you've worked hard and you've showed discipline and you followed a good diet you understood that you could cheat on your diet that you could aim a little bit lower but still be healthy you don't have to look like the photoshop guys on the magazines a man should have a four pack and that's a and if you do it great job okay now when you say it's okay to cheat it's okay to cheat are we talking Cheat day, cheat weekend, or cheat meal. I like doing how a much cheat can we meal. cheat? I like doing. Uh, I even call it a cheat. Clones, and do me a favor. Don't jump in here with Chael knows about cheating. I, oh, I think we just stop. That's exactly. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, a cheat that meal. That is true, though, Jim. A, a cheat. I'm very shady. Yeah, you it's are. You are. Okay, and I like that. You. I respect that. For me. Right. Okay. So the shady. Kids I like weird is good. Shady is good. Right outside of the principal's office. <laughs> well, not inside it though. Every single day. Were you the kid that was inside the principal's office no. or kind of hovering outside? No, because my father would come. He, he was a plumber, and he'd pull off a job site. And if I saw his van pull up and I knew they got to him, it was not going to be Were good Were you afraid of your dad growing up? Yeah, in a respectful way. I loved my father, but yes, I was afraid of my dad. Yeah, you know, by the way, I didn't want to cross my old man either, and it was actually a pretty good thing. And there was nothing physical about that. He never laid a hand on me, but didn't need to. I did not want to mess with my dad. Exact same way. No, it was was a respect factor. My dad worked hard. He got up every single day. He went to a job that I imagined he didn't like. He never complained about it. And uh, yes, I respected my father. Hmm, Chael Sonnen in studio. So a four-pack, how much can we cheat if we want to achieve a four-pack? Well, I think that it's a good idea to do it once a week. The four-pack 
we'll break it down into you have about four hours a week. And within those four hours, you can do anything that you want. I also don't believe in going on diets. Personally, uh, I believe in changing your eating habits. And I would like to offer you this, Jim. I come from the only profession in the world where your boss will weigh you in before he lets you go to work. If anybody else tried that, they'd find themselves in a class action lawsuit. So I hear these experts all the time talking about diet, nutrition, and all these things that they know. But I, it does make me question and say, how would you know? How have you done? I've done it every Saturday since I was nine years old. I stepped on a scale before I could go and do my job. So listen to me. Listen to an expert for a change. And quite frankly, it's not as hard as some people would make you think it is. This, it's just changing a little bit of your mindset. This book is The Four Pack Revolution. It is out right now. Let's get a phone call or two in here. We go to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Chad in Green Bay. You're on with Chael Sonnen. Chad, what's up? How are you? Hey, Jim. Love the show. Jalen, love what you do, buddy. Much respect, guy. Appreciate that. Thanks so much. What do you want to talk to Chael about? I just had a question for you. Um, I got a couple of buddies that do, um, you know, some semi-pro fighting. You know, they they get themselves jacked. They go in the ring. They do what they do. They come out. They're the nicest guys you, you'd ever want to meet. I just kind of wanted to know, where do you get your mentality? Where does that fire come from when you step in the ring? And how do you mentally prepare yourself? to get in there with someone who just wants nothing better than just put you on the mat. Okay, let me let me ask you, is there a switch, Chael? Because look, look, we are, we are what we are. You probably get a lot of what I get. Like, hey man, is that guy really like that? Is that guy like that all the time? You and I, I mean, we're real. This is who we are and this is what we do. And we have shows to do. You're a really good dude. Really good heart. But to get in that cage, man, you got to be a different dude. Is there a switch? How do you do it? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, so the approach to sports, and I was influenced by a book called The Perfect Match that I read a number of years ago. Randy Couture read it. He was one of my mentors. He passed it on to me. But I just personally think of three things that I want to do. I never think about the outcome. I think about the performance. I want to go out and perform really well. I have my three things. For Rampage Saturday, it's it's move forward, uh, constant pressure, and stay on top. And and uh, if I focus on those three things, then that's it. Whatever the sport is, whatever rules, and it wouldn't matter if, if we were going to some different environment. But I want to do my three things. That's my approach. And no, I don't get too psyched up. I hear I hear people that try to get fired up or even try to focus. I believe in something called paralysis by analysis, where whenever I sit and really zero in on something, I end up doing nothing. So I try to care, but I try to be uh, a little bit careless on game day. All right, so one thing you didn't mention about the three strategies coming in that I have heard you talk about, the last 10 seconds of a round against Rampage is critical. How come? Yeah, I appreciate you knowing. You know a lot of stuff, Rome. I'm impressed. I am, I am playing. I have watched all of his fights, not even studying for him. I was a Rampage fan, and there is, they ring this little clock, dick, 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 so you know there's 10 seconds left. He comes to life. No matter how bad he's hurt or if he's losing the round, he comes to life, and boom, he throws that hook. I've seen him put people down, win the round, end up winning the whole contest. So with 10 seconds to go, you got to grab a hold of him or get the heck out of the way because he's coming. All right, so what do you think about him as a fighter and then what do you think about him as a guy, a person? Yeah, so I don't know him very well as a person. Uh, he's very funny the times I have been around him. I know he's got a switch and will turn on you. I don't know if he and I would, would mesh all that well together, but as a fighter, I mean, he's a world champion. He knocked out Chuck Liddell. He won the strap. I think he'll go down in the Hall of Fame someday. I, I respect him in his career, but he's just what you said, Jim. He is a fighter. He's not a martial artist. He's going to get in that cage with a mouthpiece and he's going to fight. Chael Sonnen joining us, which brings us to this next question. I like that. He's a fighter. He's not a martial, an MMA or a mixed martial artist. Let's go to Chicago. Mike in Chicago has a question that kind of relates to that as well. Mike, you're on the air with Chael Sonnen. Mike, how are you? Hey, Jim. Good. Yourself? Great, great. What's up? Good. You know, my question really was, how, does, uh, how do you guys think Mayweather uh, fighting in the octagon is going to transfer over from boxing? Oh, Jim, can I jump in on that? I've got some insight. Please do, Chio. I thought you might. I know exactly what Mike's talking about. There was a, a rumor that May, uh, Mayweather was going to sit down with Dana White. That was confirmed. However, it was clarified Dana White is going to get into boxing, and he wanted to sit and pick Floyd's mind. So uh, people assumed when that meeting was coming up that, that Floyd was coming over to mixed martial arts of the UFC specifically. Not true. They were going to talk a little business so Dana could move forward with his venture. So, Mike, to answer your question, I don't think Floyd would do great, but the speculation has been put to rest. He's not going to attempt it. Yeah, would, would not do great or wouldn't last 30 seconds in that world. Wouldn't last 30 seconds, but he shouldn't. It's a totally different sport, and I, I feel like we've put that to rest. I live this every day, so I know that we have, but apparently that question is still out there. How would a you know one discipline do coming over to this? But no, he would not last 30 yeah, seconds. I could see where your discipline, somebody who could strike, like Connor, might go over there and hold his own. Boxers are not going into that world because the second that thing goes to the mat, it's over. It's over. That's not what they do. Yep. That's not what they live. They don't know. It's not their fault. It's a different sport. Different sport. Tyler in 
Edmonton. You made it in. Now, this guy finished outside the top 10 in the smack off, so he knows what it's like to be in a smack off. Tyler, go ahead. You're on with Chael. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Chael, Good morning. Uh, I'm 6'1, 180 pounds. I currently have a six pack. At the moment, I'm having a hard time keeping all the Canadian ladies away. I was curious what I should do to look a little more like you so that I could release some stress in my day to day life. I'll hang up and take your answer off the air. Thanks, guys. I got, hey, Tyler. You're I, I saying, don't know if you followed that. He said you're not very handsome, Chael. No, I got old Tyler's got the Kavorka. That's what he's saying. Remember when Kramer had the Kavorka and he had to wear a necklace of uh, garlic and cloves around and onions and whatnot? Yeah. Well, hey, Tyler, if Tyler's got it, he's got it, man. See, Good for him. There's no advice, right? Just go with it. I can see why he finished outside of the top ten, but he took a swing at it. I mean, he took a swing at it. He came on here with the big boys. I got no problem with Tyler. All right, so what is your approach? We're running out of time. What is your approach for the Smack Off 2018? I, I am so upset about this. So I made a mistake. I'm going to go back two years ago. I made a mistake two years ago, and I came in friendly, and I tried to tell a story, and I got crushed, and I hung up, and I it, it was legit. I, go, Man, I just missed the mark on that. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm coming in hot. I came after the host, though, and that's always a bad no, move. No, no, that, 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 I want to be very clear about this. That's not why you finished well, where you finished. That's not, honestly, that is not why. Okay. I'm, from, I'm looking you in the eye and telling you that. That's not why you finished where you finished. That's fine. That's fine. I respect, like, I got to come at this thing a different way, but that's not why. I mean, you finished where you finished because there were some really good calls that day. There were good calls. Really good calls that yeah. day. Yeah. My call, I think my call would have won certain years. I got to tell Mike and Indy that all the time. I mean, he goes into depression and, and should. This is real serious business. It's like, Mike, if I'm being real fair, your call would have made you champion, but just not in this year. Right. You know, when left pulls these kind of things. Yeah, but to be fair, Chio, your call it's this hard. year would not have made you champion any other year. It, it, you didn't like it for any of the 20. No, okay. I, thought, I thought it was good, but not like some of the stuff you've done. All right. I appreciate that. And you just never know. I mean, you got one shot at it, you get locked in, you got a very small focus group. You know, I, I got to use my mother. I use my uncle, my sister. It's hard. Because I have to trust the people that will never get out. And when they come back and they tell you, hey, this is the one, you, you end up running with it. And you have one opportunity. That's why the smack off is so important. You got one crack every 365 days. It's the big stage. It's the ultimate example of go time. But have you started to think about that? I got a feeling you're already thinking about 2018, right? Oh, yeah. You should be. You should oh, be. Oh, absolutely. But the question is, you know, do you want to go gimmicky? And, I, you know, even what Brad has said about left, there is some truth to that. But gimmicks are fun. I mean, we, right? We, we, Stevie, would he pull in the periscope and the helicopter? There's, there's a show. You, got, you, got, you have show. to do some show. You, you got it. showman. Yeah. You have to have some showmanship. But Brad did throw that off two years ago when Brad just sat, went, went first, went bell to bell and beat yeah. everybody. So there's so, a lot of thought that goes into it. All right, but you're back. That's your RSVP. You oh, will I'll be back be in 2018. A dark cloud descended over New England yesterday. And, of course, it came in the form of a tweet from at Patriots. Quote, Tom Brady is with our medical staff and will not be available to the media today. Uh-oh! Red alert. Red alert. Patriot honks. That is your worst nightmare coming to light. Tom Brady, the franchise, is with the medical staff, unable to meet with the media. All right, so exactly what does that mean? What does that mean? Most of Patriot Nation immediately went into full grip mode, fearing the worst, while a small portion of you chowds try to talk yourselves into thinking that this guy just didn't want to go to his presser. He just wanted to get out of his media obligation. There is nothing there. Except the team then chased that with an injury report on the website that Tom Brady was a limited participant in practice due to a hand injury. So, of course, panic sets in once again throughout the Patriots nation. What kind of an injury? What kind of a hand injury? How did that happen? Did he break a bone using his exercise bands? Did he lose a finger in a bizarre kitchen accident? Or did he sever a tendon after messing with a foam roller? Well, not apparently. Nope. According to the Boston Herald, he jammed his hand in an accidental collision in practice. In other words, friendly fire. Some tool in a Patriot uniform slammed right into the golden goose. Now, how would you like to be that dude right about now? No wonder they're not saying who did it. Then again, it's only a jammed hand. This dude has played with much worse. He has won with much worse. This isn't that bad, right? You chouts can all come out of your bunkers, right? Wait a minute. Which hand? Which hand is it? Turns out it's his right hand, his throwing hand. So, yeah, Tom Brady's been on injury reports before, 
but never before for something with his throwing hand. So go ahead, resume freaking out. It's his throwing hand. Freak out. Or don't. Because x-rays revealed no structural damage. And while reportedly there was some soreness and some swelling that could potentially keep him out of practice today, it is unlikely to keep him out of the game on Sunday. So, with that news in some quarters, panic turns to rage. Once again, who's the idiot who ran into Tommy? Give us a name. Who nearly ripped the sixth ring from us by ripping Brady's hand off of his arm? And the answer is, we're probably not going to find out, nor does it really matter. All that matters is, is whether or not this guy's okay. And the answer to that is, there's no way of knowing, right? There's no way of knowing. Because no NFL team is especially transparent when it comes to the health of their players, especially that team with that Hall of Fame player, and especially the week before the conference championship game. What, you think Bill Belichick is going to come out with charts and x-rays and MRI scans and models of the practice field to show you exactly what happened, where it happened, and what the damage was? Hell no. It's Bill Belichick. You'll be lucky if you get anything more than a few grunts and we're on to Jacksonville. We're on to Cincinnati. Jesus Christ. We're on to Jacksonville. So in other words, Patriots fans, what I'm saying to you is enjoy the unknown. Enjoy not really knowing until Sunday how your starting quarterback is going to be. Now, the good news is he has played with worse and won. Even better news, this guy probably napped it out in his high-performance recovery pajamas. He probably smeared a bunch of his high-performance avocado ice cream all over it. He'll be good to go. And even if he's not good to go... The Patriots have long prepared for this very possibility, and that's why they've been grooming that young stud, Jimmy Garopp. That's why they've only got one other quarterback on their roster, old man Brian Hoyer. So, Patriot fan, you know, you can go ahead and assume that everything is going to be just fine. Me, I'm going to wait and see how this guy looks on Sunday. Because with something like this, you never really know. Just like you really never know if one of your teammates is going to step on his other hand between now and then. Just to be sure, I'd put this dude in a bubble wrap. Because if you can't trust your teammates not to maim you, who can you trust? Ben Golliver is my guest. Let me start first with another night, another incident in the NBA. Tim Frazier and Michael Carter-Williams ejected Ben in last night's Wizards-Hornets game. That makes three straight days of scuffles. We're closing in on double-digit ejections for the entire week. I mean, Ben, what do you make of this? Exactly what is going on? Yeah, there's a lot of frustration out there. I don't totally know what to, to pin it on. The one that bothered me from this week, if I'm being honest, though, was the Blake Griffin and Mike D'Antoni situation where you have you know, a coach and a player kind of exchanging uh, expletives in a, a very highly watched game. To me, that's a really, really bad look for the league. And to me, it's kind of a little bit hypocritical of the coaches here. Like, it wasn't that long ago a guy like Rick Carlisle is coming out and blasting LeVar Ball for, you know, what he's saying uh, about Lazo and Luke Walton and really getting on his high horse. And then a couple of days later, you have one of the NBA's most prominent, uh, prominent coaches, the coach of the year guy, you know, basically, you know, getting up in a player's face and, and yelling back and forth. I mean, I think... The coaches need to be part of the solution here, not of the, uh, not part of the problem. Uh, but I think there's there's guilt on all sides. I mean, clearly there's a lot of testiness from the players. They're trying to work these young referees, trying to mold them and, and get calls that they want. And I've heard this talk about the summit at All-Star Weekend. I think that's a great idea, but uh, I'm a little dubious if it's going to work. It just seems like you know, some of these relationships uh, you know, are, are kind of beyond repair in terms of how players are conducting themselves towards younger officials. Uh, I certainly would not want to be in one of those official shoes. I don't see an easy answer. I mean, if they walk away, the players are annoyed because uh, they don't feel like they're engaging in a conversation. If they don't walk away, they're just going to get screamed out for five minutes and they can't really. So uh, it's dicey. It requires leadership from the top. If I'm Adam Silver, it's time to be much more assertive about this, you know, kind of take this under your own wing and, uh, and try to you know, find a solution and, and see if uh, cooler heads can prevail. Ben Culver, very good answer. A lot to unpack there. So let me ask you about the Rockets and the Clippers. I mean, the things that happened after that game, during that game, and then after that game, how much of that is just something that might happen in a game? And then how much of that might have been a sign that Blake Griffin and Chris Paul really don't like each other? Oh, I think it was personal on multiple levels. I mean, not only the, the Blake Griffin and Chris Paul factor, but the fact that 
you know, these two teams, you know, traded half their rosters to each other over the summer. And so, you know, you have a lot of, uh, you know, issues there, you know, guys like Lou Williams and, uh, and, you know, other people in the mix there, uh, you know, have personal feelings towards uh, the other organizations. I think part of it too was just an LA thing. I mean, a lot of the guys who were involved in that mix, uh, you know, whether it's Ariza and, and Harden and, and so on, Chris Paul was in LA for years and years. I mean, I think it was not your typical, uh, you know, two teams yelling at each other. Uh, the one distinction I draw between these two franchises, though, is like for the Clippers, I mean, that was a huge, huge win because they've had a really tough season. I mean, you go back to a couple months ago, I mean, they're, they're drawing players up from the Agua Caliente G League team, and they were about to, you know, draft left from Laguna on their wing. They were so shorthanded there for a couple weeks. So they're just happy to be in this, you know, playoff discussion. The Houston Rockets are the second best team in the league when healthy, period. I mean, they are right there behind the Warriors. Uh, they're better than the Cavs. They're better than the Celtics. I mean, that's the level they should be on. So from my standpoint, when you look at that entire fracas, you know, before, during, and after, the Rockets need to be better than that. And I also thought Chris Paul needed to be better than that. You know, he spent multiple years downplaying the personal stuff uh, between him and Blake Griffin. You know, they didn't want to have this alpha dog conversation. Uh, they didn't want to have, uh, oh, whose team is it? You know, they, certainly they didn't want to point any fingers when he left out the door. But you see his post-game interview, and he's taking very subtle shots at Blake, trying to say that it's Lou Williams' team now, and, and going out of his way to kind of si- sideswipe a guy who he spent years playing with. I thought that was unnecessary, kind of out of character. And look, just take your loss. You know, I mean, that was uh, an ugly game, but you got to do better than that in the aftermath of it. And at Houston, you have bigger priorities. Ben Colver, my guest. Ben, was it kind of out of character? Or was it in character? And if you see Paul reacting to a January loss the way he just did, would that make you a little concerned about how he might react to the pressure of the playoffs? No, that's the big question. You know, I I tend to give Chris Paul the benefit of the doubt. I've been a big-time fan of his on the court for years and years. Because if you look at his generation of point guards, I mean, he's going to be right near the top, uh, you know, from a consistency factor, from a two-way factor. I mean, the guy's played defense for years and years when so many other guys at his position don't. So you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. At the same time, you know, you're right. There was no reason for him to lose his cool to that degree uh, in that situation. I mean, we're talking about a mid-January game. I mean, the stakes here, there's a lot of pride at stake, I think, and a lot of personal feelings at stake. But this is not the Western Conference Finals. When you're going against a team like Gold State, who has been tried and tested every possible way. I mean, they've, they've been beat up. They've been played the mind games. Uh, they've had teams try to you know, play their style, play opposing styles. There's no room for weakness against an opponent like that, and that is absolutely a question for the Rockets. If they want to be this title team that they're setting out to become, they've got to be tougher mentally. They've got to handle losses better. They've got to be able to flip the page after they do lose because if you're going to be in a series with Golden State, you're not going to wait at four games. There's going to be a lot of adversity within that series. You have to be able to bounce back night to night, and we're still waiting to see whether Houston can do that. Ben Culver covers the NBA for SI.com. He's got also a podcast. He's the host of the Open Floor podcast. He's a jungle legend. One more thought about Blake Griffin, or a thought about Blake Griffin. I mean, he creates a lot of contact, Ben. He receives a lot of contact on the court as well. Do you get the sense that guys take liberties in that they feel like they can foul him and he will not respond, or that his only response will be to complain to the officials? Yeah, Blake's been a target for years, and I think in his head he views himself sort of as like the, the second coming of Shaq a little bit, where he's just constantly taking abuse. You remember years and years, you know, Doc Rivers would spend campaigning on behalf of Blake Griffin. I think the big part of it is just he's a very unique physical specimen in terms of not very many guys his size can dribble the ball and move as quickly as he does. You know, you're basically talking about maybe LeBron James, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, so that creates a lot of awkward situations. And he doesn't quite have the level of body control of some of the elite wings, right? Like he's a point forward, but he's not really like this, uh, you know, two guard out there. And so he gets himself into all sorts of pickles. I think that's one reason why he's had so many injury issues too, is just he is moving uh, in ways that people don't expect. And sometimes he's moving in ways he can't anticipate. But I just thought in that game, I mean, the guy is getting his tights ripped off. You know, he's half nude on the court. <laughs> that's not his fault. That's, that, that's uh, going across the line from a Houston standpoint. I think the referees uh, maybe should have defended him a little bit better in that situation. All right now, Ben, you mentioned Left and Laguna in passing. I mentioned also at the very top that you're a jungle legend, and not just for the interviews, but you wrote this amazing piece about the smack-off last summer, and now you're going to appear allegedly on Periscope with one of our listeners. 
Ben, you are an extremely well-respected NBA writer. You're coming quickly. You're already one of the best in the game. Is there any concern that if you wade any deeper into the jungle culture, you might hurt your reputation and maybe even damage a potentially burgeoning career? It's a good question, Jim. I'm not sure I have a choice in that matter, though, man. It's quicksand. You know, as soon as we did that story uh, about the, the smack-off, I have been hearing from the clothes nonstop for like six months, and I don't think they're going away anytime soon. So I think I just have to accept my fate here, uh, continue doing all of the interviews, and uh, we'll go forward from there and see what happens. Generally, what do they hit you up with? What do they want to know from you? What are those interactions like? Or, or do you interact or do you ignore them? Well, I'm always, I'm always glad to talk. Uh, mostly they want to know if I play down the level of debauchery. I think there's this uh, idea out there that on the smack-off day, guys are you know, drinking 24 beers before they're doing their call, and they want to say, hey, did you cover anything up? You know, did you uh, let these guys off the hook? And I just tell them, hey, look, I-, I painted it as accurately as I could. Obviously, it was a pretty fun morning and, and celebratory afternoon afterwards as well, but uh, usually they want to know the specifics of the hijinks is, is what they're looking for. Can't give up your sources. You can't give that story up. So the Wood Scope is tomorrow night, and I'm led to believe that Cruz Pedregon is going to take part. Mark in Hollywood is going to take part. You've been invited. Are you going to be there? Oh, of course, Jim. I can't say no to that. I mean, that's the all-star lineup. I'm there. You know me. Love uh, it. Anything for the jungle. Glenn Gullitson is my guest. Glenn, great to have you on the show. How are you? Yeah, thanks, Jim. Good to be here. It's great to have you here, Glenn. All right, so you beat the Hurricanes, as I mentioned, 4-1 on Sunday. That's a game where Sean Monahan, your leading scorer, was out with the flu. So let me start right there. What's it say about the depth of your team that your leading scorer can miss a game and you still, still score twice in the first and you win that game on the road 4-1? You know, we, we've got a good bunch of guys, and, and we do have some depth. That's the one thing that our organization has now. And so we just shuffled the lines a little bit, and we've got some good young players and you know what it's like when they get an opportunity, they were excited, and uh, and our team just kept going. I don't know if we could do that long-term, but uh, uh, with the depth we have, it certainly worked out. Now, Glenn, that point about the young players, it's really interesting to me because if you're playing and you're getting contributions from guys that are young, so when you bring them up from the AHL, how do you go about making sure that they're ready mentally and psychologically to step right in and contribute? Yeah, you know, we, we've had a few of them this year, and uh, the one thing that we try to do is uh, we play very similar systems in both in both American League and the NHL. So when we get them here, we don't try to overload them. We just want them to play, uh, especially in their first couple games. We're just, uh, we go over some of the little subtleties, but we really don't want them to overthink it. We want them to, you know, play with that adrenaline and that juice that they have. But... Uh, once they get in here, too, we, we start to let them know about the subtleties of this league, right? Bigger, stronger, faster guys, right? And their compete level has to stay at a high level. And uh, But we let them get comfortable first just playing the game, let them play on adrenaline, and then we, we, we try to push them here a little bit uh, just with the difference in the leagues. Glenn Gullitson joining us, Calgary head coach. It's not just that you're finding goals from different guys and you've got that depth. Of course, you've got Mike Smith playing extremely well between the pipes. What do you make of the way he's played so far this season, and especially of late? Yeah, you know, he, he has been such a, a good acquisition for us. Um, and and his, his goaltending uh, has been fantastic. He's one of the top guys in the league. But, you know, when we got him, what we also acquired was uh, – a great leader. He's got a lot of passion. This guy's got a lot of fire. He's got a lot of juice, but he's, he's very positive. He's, he's given us some great leadership in the locker room. And then, you know, in, in this game, one of the uh, one of the subtleties of playing goal is that puck handling ability, and he plays it like a defenseman back there. So um, he has just contributed in all areas of our game, not not just stopping pucks, but the leadership and the way he helps us uh, transition to, to some better offense. He's been, he's been a great acquisition. You know, I'd imagine this time of year especially, it, getting some time off is not a bad thing, but Sunday's win was your seventh straight, which always leads to that same conversation about momentum. So when you're riding a streak like that, is there any part of you that would like to keep on playing and maintain that rhythm and that momentum? Yeah, there certainly is. Um, you know, you, you, you want to keep it going. And the, one thing in this league is these guys get used to playing every second night and uh, – when, they, when you get on a roll and you're playing every second night, they, they kind of want to keep going with it. We weren't that tired of a group. Um, so, sure, we'd like to keep it going. But the one thing the, the, the NHL has done this year is that the teams coming off these bye weeks or these, these four- or five-day mandatory breaks, 
they're pairing them up with other teams that are coming off them too. So at the end of the day, the, the, the playing field's all square for us. We just got to get back on it quick. We're talking to Glenn Gulletson. You know, you're, the team is playing very well right now, but earlier this month when you beat the Kings 4-3, you had practice the following day, and there were reports that you were seeing some things that you were not crazy about, and you had some pretty strong words for your team. You tossed a stick. What did you see that made you feel like you need to remind them, hey, listen, that's a nice win, but one game does not make a season? Yeah, I think Jim, that was my uh, well, that was in part of my rant there too. You know, we 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 do. We just talked about those young players, and 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 then in, in any good program, in any sport, you talk about the culture. And um, we we had we had premised that morning a little bit where we didn't want to go long, but we wanted to be sharp. We wanted to be good. Uh, we wanted our veteran guys to kind of lead it, and and we didn't get that early. And so. Uh, uh, you know, that was a little bit uh, what set me off there, especially with the young guys that we brought in, is that we've got a certain standard and we weren't close to it. And uh, I didn't want to let it go longer than about seven or eight minutes where I, I recognized we weren't on that standard. And, uh, you know, right after I, I had some strong words for the guys, obviously I threw the stick and not uh, one of my finest moments. But certainly we wanted to d- deliver the message that that's not the way we, we operate. We uh, our, our, our culture is based on a higher standard. And we're going to maintain those standards, and sometimes the coach has to do that. So, Glenn, in terms of that, the culture, that you've got a standard, you've got a culture, you're going to enforce that culture and those standards, how much of that is about the head coach being responsible for it and his staff, and then how much of that is about the vets in that room helping to enforce that culture? Uh, and, and that's a great point. Uh, the, the, message, the message to the group after and in, in, in talking to our veteran leaders, and we, we've got great veterans. Mark Giordano, our captain, is one of the best in the National High League, um, but we feel that at, at, at any high-functioning team, high-level high team, is that um, by the end of the year or when you're, when you're near the end, your last 20 games in our league or 25, um, basically the coach is the facilitator. The, the, the veteran guys should grab a hold of everything, and uh, your team will be a high-functioning team if, if, if the coach is just a facilitator. Maybe he's just looking at the gauge, just making sure nothing overheats, because if your veterans are running it, then you've got something. We're talking Calgary hockey. We'll do so for a few more moments. You know, Glenn, you said something really interesting that I've never heard a coach say, but when you were hired back in 2016, you talked about developing relationships with the players, emotional bank account, meaning if you need to prod or you need to push these guys, you can make a withdrawal from that account when you need it. Can you break that down for me? What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't look at myself, well, maybe at the start of a year, uh, I don't. I don't look look at myself as a dictator here. Um, certainly, I want to put together the plan, and I've I've got a route and and, and a game plan of how we want our, our year to look and, and and proceed. But at the end of the day, you can't be the dictator if your team's going to really be taken off. I think I think it's the the players do that. And what I try to do is create an, a bank account with my players. Is I, I communicate with them. I'm honest with them. Uh, not only do I communicate with them with, hey, I want you to block this shot or do this. Uh, you know, make sure your mom and dad are in the room. If they come after a game, make sure they're eating. Make sure you introduce yourself. Um, you know, we, we honor their birthdays. We talk to them. We, we honor their milestones. We, we do everything we can to create a culture. And, and, and these are, I, I tell our players often, you guys are just us 20 years, 20 years younger. So we want to create a relationship with our players both on, on the ice and off the ice. And that when, when times get tough and, and the top athletes in the world need a push, that you can, uh, you've already created an account with them, uh, and they know you care about them. They know you want the best for them and the, the team. And if you have to withdraw and push them a little bit, they understand where it's coming from. And, and I don't think that gets old. I think when you push them, they actually get better. They don't withdraw. I like that. You've created an account with them already. All right, so finally, prior to getting this opportunity, you were an assistant in Vancouver, but you were also a head coach in Dallas. So how are you different now in your second stint as a head coach, now that you have had time as a head coach and been able to learn from it? Yeah, that time in Dallas, certainly, I was a young guy. I was, I was 39. I was two years removed from basically the, 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 the double-A level of hockey. And, um, you know, it helped me. It helped me. It gave me experience in the National Hockey League as a head coach. Uh, it hurt me a bit because I was a little green, I, and I, I'm not afraid to look back on that and say, you know what, there are some mistakes I made. Had I had more experience, that I wouldn't have made those mistakes. But uh, those two years helped me. The three years uh, in Vancouver as an assistant let me get comfortable in the league and, and recognize that a lot of the stuff that I was doing was on track, but it just gave me that, that experience in the league. And, I, and 
I'm a big believer now, having lived it, that no matter what profession you're in, there's nothing that uh, that can compensate for experience, and, and I got it. So the second time around, um, uh, it allows you to have the best that you come out, but also that experience to back you that know that, hey, we're on the right track. Glenn, it's a really rare fraternity, a really exclusive fraternity, being a head coach in a professional sport. What's it like to be in that fraternity in your sport? You know, it, it's real good. I mean, if I look back into what the events in the last couple of weeks, I got about four or five texts from other head coaches kind of saying, yeah, I threw my stick before. Welcome to the club. And uh, um, it, it's, a, it's a pretty good thing. We, you know, we compete hard against each other. You're always trying to get up one on each other. But at the end of the day, when we get together, say, in the summertime for, for our meetings and stuff, Everybody knows the, uh, and, and in every sport, I know Rick Carlisle and I became friends in Dallas, the emotions of being a coach, right, and the wins and losses. And we have a little saying there, most of us coaches, there's only two emotions in, in pro sports, right? It's winning and misery. So um, we all kind of understand what each other's going through, and it, so it's a neat fraternity to be a part of. Last thought, just a follow-up question. What's more intense of those two feelings, the winning or the misery? Oh, the misery. The misery runs deeper. Uh, and the reason for that is, uh, you know, when you win, you're just thinking, okay, how can I win the next night? Um, when you lose, it just sinks a little deeper. So you always have to manage those two emotions. It's, it's wrong, though, right? It's backwards. There's no joy in winning. You guys don't take enough time to enjoy the wins. It's just relief, or it's like, that's what's expected of us. Let's keep moving. Do you really ever spend any time enjoying the wins? Yeah. You know, th- that's, that's tough, and we've, we've addressed that actually here, and, and you're running the right path path with me we've addressed that as coaches we've talked sometimes say hey and even with our players say let's let's enjoy a win here let's not just uh, get right back on the stress stress game we've played 82 games we're playing every second night these are tough let's not get on the roller coaster ride let's stay the course and there are times there hey we can actually enjoy this game we're we're in the nhl and it's a great league to be in and and we, we can enjoy it a bit. So we, we've addressed that as a coaching group and, and with our players. I don't know what his agenda is today, but you know he'll have one. Cal. What's going on, Cal? Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, what's up, Pimp? What's up? Tim, for the record, this is a golden ticket call. Oh, okay. I wanted to be one of the first callers to win a golden ticket on this awesome television network. I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult. I already have two golden tickets. It ain't like trying to circumcise a mosquito. Jim, I was not in last summer's smack boss, and that made me feel lower than a crippled cricket's ass. It's because when I call the Jim Rome show on the day of the smack off, I feel like Superman. It's like crit night. Jim, recently Tyler and Edmondson came in here and took a run at Brad and Mike and Indy. Hey, Tyler, stay in your lane and keep Mike and Indy's name out of your mouth. And he's my pitch. Tyler, that was one of the weakest performances in smack off history. The fact that you made it in is the biggest upset since the miracle on ice. Tyler, do you believe in miracles? Hey. Hey. Tyler came in here and took a run at IRA. IRA is low-hanging fruit. If you're going to go after one of the old guys, pick on one that has half a brain left, like Raider Mike. Raider Mike posted a picture from his 1996 smack-off call. He made that call from a payphone. That's because he was living in his car at the time. Raider Nation is all fired up because they got John Gruden. John Gruden is nothing but hype. He's not going to do anything with that sorry football team. This is just like last year. Raider Mike was all fired up because they signed Marshawn Lynch. Talking about beast mode. Beast mode? It's more like bitch mode. I could tackle Marshawn Lynch. I'll grab him by the dreadlocks and slam him, slam him into the ground. The only reason he came back is because he's broke. Hey, Marshawn, next time you need cash, just take a few of your gold teeth to the pawn shop. You big idiot. War me winning the 2018 smack-off. And war Grandpa Joe. I'm out, Jimmy. All right, Cal, thank you very much. You can't win what you're not in, and you're still not in. There it is. Four down, one to go. TGIF. Go get it. I'll catch you then. I'm out.